Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 233 with Android Jones, Wanderer Awake, artist, digital alchemist, caller raid, and join the team as we get to know Andrew, aka Android Jones, a world-renowned visionary artist with a unique perspective and aesthetic. Well met. How's it going, Android? <laughs> I was totally under the impression that we were going to be at a greeter, but we went, we went live right away. So um, I will get your birth date in a minute because I'm kind of curious about your astrology. But something we do on the beginning of these episodes uh, is correspond to the number, which in this case is uh, 233. I um, correlate it to a major arcana of the Tarot. So 3 plus 3 is 6, uh, plus 2 is 8. Eighth card is the death card. Or no, that's the 13th card. Hold on, I'm totally tripping on this. Looking at Roman numerals. Let me get this right. It's the strength card. I knew that wasn't right. All right, so the strength card. I face my fears with the strength of love and patience. Strength card is about trusting yourself, letting your inner endurance shine, using your power to embrace the amazing person within you. You have everything within you to succeed. Raphael, what card do you have? We have the Angel of Contemplation, number 47. Belonging to the powers, this angel helps to have knowledge of the laws of God and raise awareness to help uncover the truth in the process and achieve constructive goals. Facilitates the understanding to contemplate the divine represented in nature. The affirmation is, I visualize the possibilities and see clearly in my mind the good things for the future. Qualities include contemplation, creative genius, Revelation of cosmic processes, divine pleasures, and pure intention. So, Android, I'm curious if between the strength card and that angel, uh, if anything resonated for you. Well, I'm just, I'll take either of those cards over the death card for sure. So, right. Um, yeah, good, good catch on my part. I was like, wait a second. Uh, that's not the right number. Um, right. I mean, you could expand upon that if you want, but he was talking about creative genius and stuff with the angel, and it's, uh, your work pretty much screams that at multiple levels. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say about that? Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I think the, I, I feel like I probably resonated maybe more with the, the I think they could, I can see how they could both be applicable, but maybe resonated with the second card's description a bit more. For sure. Um, all right. So my awareness of you, uh, I'd say what 2013, 2014, I started, uh, using LSD once a week and waking up and talking about, you know, with Terrence McKenna group people and Alan Watts people and all sorts of weird shit on Facebook. And uh, I'm imagining that's right about the time I turned on to your art. Um, it was not only really impressive from an aesthetics standpoint, like, a you know, production side uh, art artistry, but the content itself was very unique. Um, it seemed like the nature of the vision that you were kind of putting forth um, was coming from a psycho not kind of place, like a visionary artist place, Alex Gray, Terrence McKenna kind of fans would grok it and gravitate towards it. But it also had a very kind of postmodern digital effect uh, going on. It's not just, you know, pen and ink work that you're doing. So anyway, I, I turned on to your stuff um, at about that point. I happen to be up in Colorado too. I know that you're, um, you were on your biography, you were saying you're from the Boulder area basically and living there now. Um, I'm up in Buena Vista, so near slide up in the, uh, uh, Arkansas River Valley, but um, my awareness of you is minimal. It's like I've never watched you give like a TED talk or anything crazy like that. Um, maybe you've given lots of lectures. I don't know, 
Um, but you're one of these artists that once we started kind of getting people with more clout, I mean, for lack of a better term, uh, you were somebody I was like, oh, we've got to, I've got to ask. And so like, I'll see what I can do. Uh, and here we are. So thank you for giving us your time and energy. Um, I'm kind of curious, I mean, maybe a basic place to start and you can be as long-winded or as short-winded as you prefer. Uh, tell us about growing up in Colorado, maybe the culture you were part of when you started becoming aware of your artistic abilities, and we can kind of go from there if that's cool with you. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I'm uh, presently in Colorado um, as we speak. Um, I've got a little got a, a family property uh, kind of on the, the foothills in between Boulder and Estes, and this is actually the land and the property that I, I grew up on. And um, I was here for about 18 years before I left for art school. Um, I went to a, went to Sacred Heart Elementary out in Boulder. Um, I think growing up here, um, it's a really ideal and beautiful place, I think, to cultivate a, um, I think, a, a grounded, healthy consciousness. Uh, I've got two kids out here now, and um, I couldn't, I couldn't find a, a better option that uh, I was aware of to where I would rather raise my kids. So that's one of the reasons that I'm back here in the process of that. I, my art journey started really the way, I mean, it's kind of those things. I was a big sci-fi fan. I was watching the, I've read like all these, all the, uh, the expanse books. And there's this, uh, there's a great line in it where they talk about every time you remember something, you change it. So your like your greatest memories and your deepest fears are both your, your, your greatest illusions. So I kind of, just to preface, every time I tell these stories, I feel like they change a bit. But the, uh, the story as I somewhat remember it, or I've, I've, I've changed, I, I remember changing it over the years, is that when I was about five or so, I, uh, one of my, I think my, it's like preschool, and I must have made, I made this caterpillar painting, and um, the teacher thought it was a big deal, and my parents were really supportive and put me in some uh, private art lessons. And so I've been really on sort of like an independent kind of and academic based art education journey really ever since that. And um, once I got good at it, I kind of simultaneously realized that I didn't really show any skills in any other vertical vector. So I just kind of doubled down and dug in. And looking back, I think I would attribute a lot of the obsession I had with art. One, I just loved it. I enjoyed it. And when you start developing a skill early on and you see some type of, you know, you start becoming recognized it by your family and your peer group um, consciously or actually mostly unconsciously, I, I, I think in retrospect, it becomes part of, I don't know, I think I, I made art into sort of my uh, a, a cultural, biological, evolutionary advantage and kind of played somewhere between the, the evolutionary advantage and a, uh, a means of communication through like a love language, you know, being able to, once I realized I could make an image and I could do a drawing and give it to my mom. And it was a way of sort of expressing my love for her. And there was like a value exchange there. You know, I wasn't the first to get picked for kickball ever, but I was the first to get picked to when you needed a, have like a, a teammate to make a, a uh, like a book cover project in school. So yeah, I just uh, painted myself into a, to a, to a corner there and just kept at it. And it was just this thing that I did and it was making art. I didn't know what kind of artist I wanted to be, but 
I always knew that I wanted to be an artist. And I think that all the, it sort of lined up to that all the sort of cultural media that I was attracted to growing up as a young boy in, in, a, in a town like Colorado, like comic books and cartoons and movies. Like I realized that all those were these things that I enjoyed were from other artists. And I started to follow a lot of artists and read about their careers and their journeys. And um, when it, when I ended up graduating and I needed to pick an art school, um, I went to a school in Florida that was in from like 96 to 2000. And it was a, uh, I went to a computer animation school. I had done a little Photoshop in high school I mean, way back in the day. And um, it just, this school just seemed like, I, I, I liked the, uh, what they were offering. It seemed pretty interesting. And that's where I was first kind of really exposed to, I started, started doing some digital painting, like painting with the Amigas. Um, the machines back then that we were, we had access to on this, uh, were, uh, like these $25,000, $50,000 machines. Um, they were these silicon graphics machines. They were the only machines that you could make. You could do, uh, Maya that would run Maya and you could do like, we were doing NURBS modeling with fongs and blend shaders and making animations. And um, this is around the same time as I, I said, when I, I think when I first started art school and, and majoring in animation, it was one of the, the first kind of boom bubbles of the CG era, like Jurassic Park, just to kind of place it in some sort of spectral memory, like Jurassic Park had just been released and people were realizing that this new CG thing was, it was really, it was kind of like, that. yeah, it was like the hot new thing. I mean, when I went to art school, there were, uh, at, at that year in 96, 97, 98-ish, um, Universal Studios, Paramount, like these big movie studios, they were buying seniors. Um, they were bribing seniors with like Camaros and Mustangs to pledge their allegiance and sign a contract and work for them as soon as they graduated. You know I mean? They were like, it was like, they were like scouting like that, like college basketball talent. Like it was like that. And it was like that for like a year and a half. And then by the time my class was graduating, like that bubble had totally popped. And I think Disney had just fired like 400 animators and the market was oversaturated. And um, so it was, it was an inter it was kind of an interesting to see these little, these little cycles as they happen. And I learned a lot. Um, I think the thing that I really got out of it the most, it was the first time I was exposed to a, like a, a painting with a Wacom tablet. And before that, I was pretty strictly traditional guy. And, but I was really more into the traditional um, mindset, the traditional academic practices, a lot of like the lost arts, the things that they, would, that they don't really teach in art school anymore. Well, some art schools, they, if, they, if you go to like, there, are, there has been a resurgence since then of classical ateliers where you learn, um, you know, different drawing techniques like, uh, you know, site sizing and three, one, two, one and anatomy. And actually when I, when I was in college, I, I took a, a anatomy class at the medical temp at the Tampa uh, medical school. And we did some like dissecting at cadavers. And I was, I was really into that sort of stuff, like being able to, I really wanted to learn as much of like the, the, kind of the old master's secrets. And um, I didn't really have too much of a, I wasn't really, really drawn towards a lot of what was happening in like the modern art or postmodernism. Like if it didn't, if it didn't instantly look impressive, 
Um, if I had to read someone's description to figure out why I should care about a painting, it wasn't something that I put a lot of time into. Um, but I still, so I always loved drawing and I realized I didn't like really animating. I didn't like dealing with it. The, it was too technical. I needed, I was, I mean, I had a whole course of like Unix coding and I'm slightly dyslexic. And so having to enter in code um, to, to get to what I want to, to, to make the, the, the actions and the results that I was looking for um, was kind of a, I realized that I, that I was incompatible with that hell. language. <laughs> it's like, what is that? Yeah. yeah. I just want to I speak mean, poetry. The, what do I need to know grammar for? Oh, and it, I think it was like the downside risks of it. Like the fact that like any moment, say if I just accidentally hit like, like RM dash star, I would, you would delete like the hard drive of the entire computer. It was almost like too much responsibility and there's no wiggle room. I was uh, I was talking to a bunch of artists in Clubhouse last night, and I said that most digital artists can be, there's probably two big buckets you can put everybody in. Like, do they like vectors or do they like bitmaps? You know, are they very detailed, like graph line oriented, like Illustrator, or do they like Photoshop? And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bitmap guy all the way. Like I need a certain margin of error in everything that I do to, to reach a result that I'm happy with, um, you know, kind of like zeros and ones are not always. Oh, <laughs> yeah, not as forgiving. No, I need, yeah, I need some wiggle. I like a little bit of wiggle room to move around and um, yeah, but um, yeah, I, I got exposed to a, a Wacom tablet and um, that, I think that's in like around 96 or 97. And that's definitely when things really started to change. Cause I realized that I could, um, it was really hard to take the, the traditional, knowledge and the understanding of you know spending all this time understanding the nature of form and light and volume um, became almost irrelevant within the three-dimensional aspect because that's what the computer sort of did for you through modeling and lighting i mean it definitely helped to you know the dynamics of light but what i really enjoyed about the wacom is that i could directly i could take a lot of the skills the line quality the muscle memories the anatomy and all these uh, classic traditional understandings even techniques like different types of glazing techniques and i could apply that almost that are one-to-one -one within the digital medium like through layering and opacities and pre the pressure control and i just kind of made a decision it's like you know i feel i made a bet where it's like yeah like it's a little it's not as romantic as traditional painting i think it, it was also a lot of the traditional painters I admired were like the Velasquez and the John Singer Sargent and the Rembrandt. And I've, since then I've spent time traveling out through Europe and I've seen a lot, I've gone on, and sought out a lot of my favorite original paintings that I admired when I was younger. And when you just, I mean, just walking through like a Rembrandt exhibition, you see what this cat is doing with, what did with oil paint. And uh, I, I just, I kind of did the math and I just, I felt like even if I dedicated the rest of my life to mastering oil, I don't think that I would be making that much of a contribution to the conversation of art history. Whereas when I saw these digital tools emerging and all of these new possibilities, it just felt like focusing on a, on using these digital tools to express creativity and to make art. Um, it was, just, it was a much more exciting proposition. <laughs> Yeah, and it was also just through the art history classes I had when I studied my the art masters that I appreciated. These guys were no slouches when it came to technology. Like you better believe that like Michelangelo and Raphael, like they were using the most modern 
what the most modern pigments, the most expensive and, and fancy brushes and canvases and camera obscuras. Um, none of none of the artists that I think made it through the historical filter of it and uh, were um, like, you know, were were were, were gripping on to remnants of past artists or because or like stuck you know made some sort of like line in the sand and like no i'm not gonna cross over to this new thing they were all very early adopters and so that, that it was actually my understanding of the of history that uh encouraged me to embrace um any type of um new emerging tool in service to um I, as an expression of gratitude for everything that i i learned from my observation of their lives and yeah kind of just that was it went that way and uh you know i haven't really looked back ever since then um went on to i don't know after graduating um about 2000 um i did some had some like i did had some work experience like an internship with like industrial light and magic and saw kind of like the pinnacle of like wow this is the most highly functioning studio making the most amazing art and got to learn a lot from the artists that i met there and um, ultimately, when I graduated, I, my main focus was, you know, I realized that there were a lot of really cool opportunities. Um, but my goal was to once I, I also realized, like, it seemed like I didn't realize that the spoiler alert upon graduating was being fixed with a, you know, a quite a substantial student debt. Um, and I just my goal was to sort of break out of the indentured servitude as as fast as I could and the available options at that point is like, where can I make the most amount of money with these skills um, to sort of buy my freedom back was definitely, it was the, the film and games industry. Um, and it was also an industry that took advantage of drawing skills and um, understanding anatomy and a fair amount of creativity and composition. Like all of those held a high, I still hold a high amount of value in the, the film and entertainment realm. So worked a couple of jobs, got hired at a, with the big, probably the, the longest sort of employment I had was with uh, working with Nintendo, uh, concepting out the, the Metroid series of games. And I played um, Metroid, okay. Yeah, so yeah, all the, you know, the, all, the, all the Metroid GameCube games, Samus was, that was, that was my baby, that was my girl. So um, yeah, I worked on like three games then out in Austin. And after five, five years, I think, working for them, I started going to Burning Man at this time, too, and that just blew me pretty wide open. Um, I think ever since, like, in 2003, I went to my first burn, and, and I felt like I definitely came back a different person whose values and goals um, were seemed to be incompatible with the, the, the lifestyle that I was returning to. And, kind of a mind-melting uh, moment. I mean, not to kick you off, I'm curious, had you done no, psychedelics no, 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 no. before this kind of event, or was this like some one of those things where you're like, I drank ayahuasca and now I'm a new person, or like, how did that work? Yeah, um, I, I probably smoked pot for the first time, like in a, you know, I think it was a, behind a truck in a high school parking lot out in Niwot when I was maybe 14, 15, and that was a real game changer um, for me. I definitely sort of, I think I would the, the years between 2015 and maybe 2005, I'd say I was probably a pretty marijuana was, it was just like a sunshine in a bag. Um, but what I, what I enjoyed about it was less so much the high. It was 
Yeah, I think a lot of what makes uh, art, the, the art that I'm attracted to, and the, even like the process and the artists that I like, I think one way of looking at art and something that's common among a lot of artists is that um, it's problem solving. You know, whether your problem is I've got a white piece of paper and I need to fill it up, or your problem is I have some idea or vision that no one's ever seen before and they need to execute that. You know, it's 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 almost it's this fractal problem solving exercise. And what I really enjoyed about marijuana is that I could I had this I could take the same problems that I was I had been solving for for years through drawing and it it let me examine those problems but where the problem before might have been this sort of this this two-dimensional static object that had been in front of me when um, when my mind was altered with cannabis it was if I could take that problem and it was now three-dimensional and I could I could sort of take its pivot point and I could then move, I could three-dimensionally move this problem and I could see this problem from a new perspective that I've never seen that problem from. And that new perspective led to new and novel solutions that hadn't occurred to me before. Uh, if I could, and that's just, you know, it's, it's a broad brush, but it, I think that was really like the, ju the jux of it. No, yeah, I get what you're yeah. saying. I mean, McKenna, you know, he, uh, Terrence McKenna's whole thing was like, you know, most people are talking about economic trends or whatever, smoke some weed, and you're talking about why Greece had a renaissance, you know, stuff like that. Like, not an uh, Italian renaissance, but like a, a birth of democracy and all this stuff. It seems, um, and we could go off on, you know, psychedelics and stuff at some other point. I just was kind of curious mm -hmm. because you were saying that Burning Man was kind of a pivotal axial tilt for you or whatever. Where, sure, I don't sure. know if that was because of psychedelics or... I mean, I haven't been to a Burning Man uh, festival yet, uh, but it seems kind of like Salvador Dali's Wet Dream meets kind of, um, how would I even put it, uh, cyberpunk <laughs> like values or something like that. It's a very kind of interesting thing. Um, we've had uh, Jamie Janover on the podcast before, and he's very active in that scene. Um, so just kind of walk me through what was your first burn like? What I mean, was it like a specific drug revelation or was it a culmination of a kind of a, an initiatory experience of, of the whole thing itself? Yeah, you know, I mean, contrary to, I think, maybe a, a general popular opinion, and there are definitely moments where Burning Man can pair very well with drugs, but sometimes it's, it's I'd say it, it's not the place you want to do drugs for the first time. Definitely. Like, it's, there's, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of, incompatible things like when i i think my first burn i don't think i i might have done i don't know if i i don't have any i guess i definitely don't have any like wild drug experiences i mean the place is coming from my where i was coming from at that point when i i went to burning man like i just had i, I was actually exposed to just the idea of burning man when i was at ilm and during my internship out in San Francisco, one of the artists was a burner and she was just like, we got to get you out there. And she showed me the first, I remember seeing the pictures for the first time. And it was just one of those like little glitch in the matrix. It was like, you think you figured everything out and you're like, what, this is, this thing exists. Like this thing has existed for decades and you had, you were not aware of it. And now you're aware. And what are you going to do about it? And I was instantly just drawn to the novelty of it. And um, yeah, I went my first year, I went like by myself. I didn't know anybody. I rented a car. I just like, I blew in there. Like, I think I came in on like a Wednesday. I like parked my car and I, I, I might've like made it back to my car like one or two times from there. Like I, I, I arrived at night and the feeling of sort of like weaving your way through 
kind of a semi-organized like termite network of campers and cars and tents until you make it to the edge of the esplanade which is that's kind of like the main the boardwalk boardwalk of the playa just just the emergence onto the esplanade and seeing just thousands of people like represented by little lights it was in, it was right after sunset um you know fire explosions in the distance the mumbled, muffled sound of a, like 20 sound systems going on at once. These big, sculpted, lit-up vehicles. I mean, it was like it was like it's like I fell into like a Mobius painting. You know, it was something that like I had to, like I had to do some real-time mental calculations and sort of I was like in the moment like reevaluating everything I thought I knew about, um, you know, about about what about what culture was, what humans were doing. Um, and, you know, if anything, it was less about like the, the debauchery or the hedonism or, um, you know, the, the psychedelic aspect of it. For me, it was really just about the, it was, I, I think Burning Man, what it is, it's, it's an incredible um, like freedom simulator. It was just the feeling of like, wow, this is what humans can do when, we're not spending all day long like bombarded by advertisements or worrying or bickering or dealing with the transaction of of money you know it was just like it created this sort of a kind of free will zone where a new future could emerge like a new possibility that there was a new way of relating to people that i could be and i think that the things i mean i've been to burning man i mean that that the, the experience i had during that week um, that was so, it was so pivotal that I, I've been to Burning Man every year since that. I've got almost like 20 burns under my belt. And I think for me at that time, I'd always been sort of an isolated artist, a very introverted. Um, it, it, it also allowed me that the freedom of it allowed me, it's not just the freedom of what you can do or what you can get away with or freedom of like your actions, but it was the freedom that, because especially going there by myself without any 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 real i mean I, I definitely you carry like your own baggage everywhere you go but i didn't i didn't have to and i didn't have anything that was necessarily attaching me to that like the gravity of my story um uh loosened up significantly where i realized that whenever i met someone i could be you know i, I could just be whoever I, I wanted to be you know it was kind of like seeing myself as sort of a blank canvas and um yeah i think definitely the first like five or six years going there uh, it, I think it had a real effect on just like the development of my personality and how I can interact with people and how do we exchange value when, um, you, when, when money isn't really an issue and, um, and just how, and also just how appreciated and celebrated just the creative, the creative freedom and the creative spirit was, um, is something that as always, I think had a really lasting impact and i think it's just also that just just the fact that there's something that there's something just really valuable just about being surprised and having all of your sort of preconceived expectations drastically shifted instantaneously and people this pay money for that yeah. i mean straight up <laughs> yeah definitely so i mean i like i said i haven't been and it sounds like I, I much appreciate the fact that you're not so much like this is just this crazy carnival where anything goes let's do all the drugs um, though there's elements of that, I'm sure it sounds like you're more there for almost the zeitgeist shift. I mean, it seems like um, um, an axial hub on a Aeon shift or something like that. Whatever Burning Man is, 
think the intentions were something, I mean, I don't know the lore or the, you know, the, the total deep history, but it feels to me on the outside looking in where it's like maybe some white hat, quote unquote, like acid producers or something were like, let's try to create a world in a place where we're not going to get a whole lot of slack for it uh, to show that it's possible. Um, I mean, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting, especially from what you're saying, where it's like, uh, I, like I'm, a, I'm a guitarist back in high school. I took um, the lettering for like post boxes or whatever and wrote the word possibility on my pedal board uh, be, just to remind myself where it's like, it is pretty open source and it's almost anything goes based off of what you prefer in terms of your own template of, um, you know, values, I guess you could say, and the culture at large. Um, I'm kind of rambling, but uh, yeah, I haven't been to Burning Man. It seems like something very profound, obviously you, for you personally. Um, yeah, also, yeah, it's, it's a, kind of it's a turning point in the in the whole cultural scene altogether. Like counterculture is not in the sides as much anymore. It's like more like you know, front. It's more viable. I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. You know, it's it is, but it's also it's also both ends. Like I definitely don't want to paint this like this utopian rainbow vision of it. Like it's the it's the it's the cure to all that ails us. It's just a, a much more um just like dramatized, um, like exaggerated sort of version of like little petri dish of everything that we have here. I mean, any people's experience it's a it's a it's a really wild and dramatic sort of like choose your own adventure sort of like sample of life because there's everything there like if you want to go down like a really self-destructive dark hedonistic path like that's available if you want to meditate and connect with aliens and eat raw vegan food like that's available too it's like it's just your your the breadth of your options are like everything sort of on the table and I mean, I'm, I certainly I do think that there was definitely some, I mean, the white hats, like Larry Harvey, the creator of Burning Man, like he had a white, that guy, he was a white hat. He wore a white Stetson hat every day. That was like his trademark. And over the years, like I, I, you know, I think there's a high probability that lots of aspects of it have probably gotten co-opted by darker forces. There's a lot of dark forces out there. You know, I'm sure that there's, you know, spot, I'm sure that it's a, it's probably, a, if I was in one of the alphabet um, organizations, great place to have some high definition recording cameras and get some blackmail on a lot of powerful, influential people that you could probably use to manipulate them. Like it's, it's kind of all of the above. And it really just comes down to what I love about it is that you are, is the, is the amount of agency that you have to navigate that world. You know, like I've had Burning Man experiences that were actually some, some of those years were just the most ridiculous, just off the rails, just and, and just debaucherous, ridiculous, like novel party times. It definitely like went through that. There was a series of years where I experimented with community building and building our own theme camp. And we had like an international camp with 500 campers in it. And, yeah, and through like, out of curiosity. Um, it was fractal. It was called fractal planet, fractal nation. It was really, the camp was an experience. I had all these great communities that I had, I had met through my, uh, doing visuals at different uh like transformational and psychedelic festivals like all over the world and burning man was the place i felt like i could bring them all together to collaborate without the just the economical friction that would have to take place in a real world it's a great place to experiment with things that you don't want to um that in the default world you would 
there would be too many liabilities attached. So you can build an LLC and, 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 and raise a bunch of money and make an awesome party and you don't have to worry about who owns it or how much money everybody's profiting off it because everybody works for free. Um, last, the last Burning Man that there was, I brought my, I brought this, uh, this huge like semi truck laboratory, VR laboratory on wheels out there and had a experimental VR biofeedback ketamine therapy laboratory because it was the easiest way for me to have access to all the, all the best ketamine therapists and a whole, and, and a, and a nonstop line of people that were willing to try my VR or intravenous ketamine therapy projects without having anyone sign one single release form or contract because within the ticket, it's like everyone accepts a certain amount of liability when they sign up for the event. And so it, it sort of create, I think some, some aspects of Burning Man, they make um, the, they, they sort of, they, they, they loosen the fascia around um, some, like some of the, the things that in the default world are, are much more, restrictive and, and preventative. So I, I appreciate it on that element. But at this point too, it's like when I go to Burning Man, I got to bring my whole family and my kids and I just go through, you know, it's not, it's not, even, it's not really about drugs anymore, partying. It's just about how it's about um, being able to share this experience with like my family and just open their, my kids' eyes to just new worlds and new possibilities. Well said. Um, I'm kind of curious because I, I, I mean, I'm sure we could keep going on about parts of your biography. Um, but I'm curious with the, it seemed like you were kind of doing a lot of international stuff, like you were saying, like kind of, um, intentional, uh, festivals and art kind of side trance gatherings all around the world. Um, did you, do you feel that you're part of a shifting of consciousness, like the guard of it? I mean, I know that sounds loaded, but it's like whatever seeds Leary and McKenna and Alan Watts and these kinds of people planted in the 60s, do you think you're kind of harvesting that energy um, where people are open to whatever entheogens or sacred geometry or very different processes with uh, artistic kind of mediums like digital uh, VR kind of realities? Um, how do you look at yourself kind of in the lineage of as an American artist? That's a good question. Um, you know, I don't aspire uh, to... Um, any type of, uh, you know, like thought leader, cult leader position. You know, I think that there's like a, a lot of great ideas out right there. I'm a big fan of everyone's own agency and ability to make up their own minds on, you know, how they want to live their, their life. Um, I've got some theories and some philosophies that like work for me. And if people want to know, I'm happy to share those things, but I've never felt like, you know, I don't wake up in the morning being like, man, I got a mission and I got to tell these people like what to do. It's like, I'm very much, I have a little bit more of like a laissez-faire kind of how do I, my meditation is more like, how do I, how do I, how do I uh, weave myself into and, and how, how do I find a way to, to weave myself into the infinite fabric of reality, like as gracefully as possible. I'm not necessarily trying to like punch holes in it or force my ideas like onto the minds of other people. Cause you know, a lot of my ideas like are still works in, in progress, but as far as participating, I guess in a, in a, in a lineage or adding something, I'd like to think that my energy is, fo is focused more on adding to the, I think like the, at least like sort of, I can say like the, the, the creative, um, use and manipulations of uh, tools and 
chemicals in a way, you know, like oh, I've tried, what I've, I tried to coin this phrase with my art. You know, when I, when I was when I was in the middle of like trying to see like where my art fit, I came up with this term like electromineralism because what I'm what I essentially what I'm really doing is I'm you know through the manipulation of my conscious manipulation of the minerals and the crystals and the quartz and the you know that are part of technology and computers and electricity and then the electricity of my um, my my brain and my imagination. Um, that's the medium that I work in. And when I think when it comes to if there's any place I feel that where I sort of fit in, there were definitely some pretty, I'd say like in the years when I was, after I left Nintendo and I kind of started my own art outsourcing studio in San Francisco as an independent artist. And I did that for until around 2006 was a, was a big shift. It was like kind of the first time I decided to totally kind of untether myself from any organization or group or team and be a completely independent artist and go on the road making digital paintings and working with the DJs and the musicians that I'd met at Burning Man. Um, yeah, 2006 to like 2012 was what those are definitely like pedal to the metal, like psychedelic, um, like heroic doses of psychedelic um, medicines, like really, and seeing what was possible. And I've and even when it comes to psychedelics too, like they were, like I'm not the kind of guy that can, that's comfortable like, like getting high and hanging out on like a couch or talking to people. Like they were, my agreement with them were always, they were a, a, an enhanced um, art supply. Um, I was always really intentional about how I used them and what the set and setting was and what my intentions were. And for most of the time, I tried to treat them with a lot of understanding and reverence and, and respect, but because I could, I found that, especially in the 2000 to 2008, I'd say I was like at a at a warehouse out in Berkeley, and uh, yeah, I would just I'd kind of lock the door and turn the phone off, and I would just go as kind of as 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 deep as I could into these realms. Um, and what I had found is that working with the the, the computer software. Um, like my setup's pretty much I'm sitting in a, in an Ergotron Herman Miller chair and I've got one or two like large format monitors in front of me and I've, have a, like the largest, like this, this extra large Wacom tablet that's underneath the desk that I'm painting with. But I had found that I had, I had committed because all the decisions I need to make, make creatively existed within, you know, a, a piece of real estate that was like less than three by three square feet. Um, I pretty much had all of the decisions um, automated and, and sort of saved to my muscle memories. Like I knew how to access all of the tools and all, where all the brushes and where all the colors were. And I was being able, I was able to customize enough that when I went into a really deep, when I went deep enough into a psychedelic state, um, I could almost forget that there was a me is sitting in that chair and it was if like it was, I was just sort of in a space like watching my creative consciousness and the the, feed, the feedback loop between my creative consciousness and what was happening it was it was such a direct one to one relationship that I felt like it really it gave me access to a, just a, a a different a different caliber of inspiration that I, I don't know if it would have been possible to have a have such a um, such an intimate connection with that without the um, without the, 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 the different advantages and this sort of different frequency that these these chemicals were unlocking.
and I'm sure that I mean there's we could totally talk. We got a whole podcast like talking about the the entities or intelligences or connections that were were made. And but most of what I think I would be offered could unfortunately just be totally speculative because you never really know what happens. But I can I I feel pretty we're strong with speculation at Team Rabbit Hole. I mean <laughs> that's the whole point. It's like we don't know what the fuck's going on. We all just we got red pilled and here we are kind of thing. I, yeah, well I've been pretty hooked on red pills for a long time. I can say, like, I'll just sum it up too. Um, there were moments where um, I was in just like the full throws of the ultimate, the the at, whatever was at that moment the 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 ultimate nexus of what a flow state creative experience like could possibly be. Um, and in and at that and those were actually psych LSD played a big part of it, but also ketamine played a big part of it, and the, and finding the the combination between the two of them because the lsd would um it would it would really activate my um kind of the the pareidolia of like the meaning making machine of my imagination and all the pieces i would do that they, they would just start from chaotic shapes and colors and marks and they would all that like over the course of an evening um i the the piece would take on this like narrative quality of it unfolding in front of me and i would sometimes i could see it finished before it, I was even, um, I, I could look at a piece and almost see the finished piece in front of me, like not in my imagination. And I would, it was just such that the work was so alive. And then the, the ketamine would, it, it was really good at um, at eliminating, you know, any of the egoic attachment I had to like myself or Dory or my hangups or the rackets. And I was able to almost get as close as possible to just free unrestricted creative expression and in 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 the in the depths of those types of moments there were i I felt like you know there's sometimes where you know i think many of us can recognize when we're just you know we just talking to our own we're talking to ourselves in our imagination and then there's a second layer where um yeah it's interesting one of my one of my all-time uh heroes john c Lilly. he's 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 a kind of a, a cartographer of consciousness he's mapped out a lot of these um a lot of these states of minds but you know like the cliff notes is like a secondary version as i feel that i'm interacting almost directly with uh i gain access to like a being able to interact with my my subconscious on a level and then there's a realm that's is beyond those two things where i feel like sort of transcended or left the self-conscious and i'm having some type of interaction with the consciousness that is not me is that is is so beyond me and i it's hard to explain how i know that but it's just there's just like a gnosis of it it's like when that kind of com- communicate it's you know what the way that it happens is i'll look at all of these decisions that i've made on the canvas over the past five hours that were totally what i felt was like chaotic or um, um random <laughs> yeah and then i'll see them all like all it's like you you turn a corner and it's like all the pieces just match up, and so that that con- that that higher consciousness communicates to me through the decisions that it's influenced me to make the entire time. And it's a, you know you know free will or predestiny. I I don't know, but it's the kind of thing where it it's sort of like that's where it can communicate with me. And then there's a some some there's sometimes it, like to say that it's like a telepathic conversation doesn't really do it justice either. 
but there's just a there's a some somewhere along the lines this dialogue happens and the the dialogue that did happen at that moment that uh, that I uh, that I uh, that I remember really strongly was just there's moments where I would come to some realization whether it was like the the chemicals I was on or it was partly the chemicals it was partly the the technology and it was it was also the content that I was creating but I'd like reach these moments where I could it's almost like I, I could feel like the you know this these this this cre- I, I believe that creativity is a is a, it, it, there's a consciousness to that I think that it's something that exists like independent of 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 humanity and there are moments where I could almost feel like these energies like cheering like being triumphant like congratulatory like finally like he figured this out like congratulations like you've you've like like achievement unlocked like you have now accessed you you were the first person to have uh, accomplished this goal that we set out and i think when it when it comes to that goal and the lineage uh, just these moments of realizing that like when you think about what was happening and like the, with consciousness in the 60s and think about how psychedelics change i've always seen the relationship between consciousness and tools as this like this 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 flowing sort of like a, there's a like a, there's a, a dance between the two um the way that they evolve and develop and i just had this download when realizing that like okay that the majority of the from the 60s the majority of the the programmers that had made that were if you look at the history of like visual coding I mean tr- try to find some visual coders that were not doing acid and or mushrooms and or coding on mushrooms at the same time and I, I knew I knew I actually I knew had some insider information that even the the program that I was using at the time is that the pro, that this this painter program that uh, I was close to the developers and they were saying that yeah it started like in Canada in a cabin like on mushrooms that's how they got this original idea and then you think of like visual interfaces and i just i would i could see like how much the technology i was using was influenced by psychedelics and so i'm taking technology that was that was only brought into reality from psychedelics hardware from psychedelics software that was that had a, that psychedelics touched and now i'm on psychedelics like using all of this software like there was like that like, like there was something i felt like that like that combination fits. at that time. <laughs> yeah, the glove fits. I must admit for sure. Well, it's funny. I don't know if you've seen a, um There's a Werner Herzog uh, documentary that's really worth watching called, uh, I think it's like Cave of Forgotten Dreams or something like that. Um, very synesthetic, insane soundtrack with like choral groups and just the whole kind of premise is like, oh, somewhere in the south of France, there's this cave that got buried in landslide and you know there's a footprint from 10,000 years ago and these things are the first minotaur forms of you know our psyches at that point projecting maybe what turned into the bull myths of all sorts of cultures anyways weird shit but it sounds kind of like what you're talking about with, with that um in terms of you kind of see your place in the whole panoply like if you hadn't gone to uh that school in sarasota for the certain kind of digital stuff if you weren't post psychedelic revolution of the 60s uh if you weren't dealing with maybe postmodern um thinking in terms of like you know oh i could take ideas about uh hinduism or buddhism or whatever and bleed them into my art um you're just at this perfect place for what you're trying to do maybe consciously or subconsciously i don't know about your presuppositions in terms of like i asked to be here now kind of vibe i mean you know at one level that's the whole like 
Bashar kind of mode of like, I'm creating this reality and this is the dream I'm preferring, Hinduism kind of thing. Or if you feel yourself kind of thrust into a moment of a game, like, like more Gnostic. Um, maybe we should take a quick music break. When we get back, uh, I kind of want to pick your brain on some of those more ontological positions. I know you're not trying to proselytize, uh, so I'm not looking for the answer particularly, but I'm kind of curious. It seems like a lot of your, um, whether it's some Scara, a really good, uh, you know, fully immersive kind of video I've seen of yours, um, or specific works, it seems like uh, obviously spirituality and metaphysical technology, if you want to put it that way, thinking, plays a part in your process. So anyway, I'm rambling, but we'll kind of touch on to some of that if you're down um, for that. Great. Cool. Yeah, indeed. So yeah, get some tea, go to the bathroom, do whatever. Um, I'm not even sure what song I put, if I put it, or if I told you to pick it, Raphael, but here's some music. Welcome back. So there's a few places we could take this. Raphael, you've been quiet, so I want to make sure you, if you have any questions, obviously. Feel free. Well, the main thing I want to know about, and this is only because I love asking about those things, is, so first of all, fascinating stories. Thank you so much. This is also what I had heard even with Super Mario, basically done on mushrooms or acid or whatever. I mean, how else could someone <laughs> come up with that? And yeah. Pretty awesome that you even worked at Nintendo. I didn't ever play Metroid, but I played Super Smash Brothers, and I'm pretty sure they somehow imported that model as well. Um, particularly, what I'm interested in is you said that during certain flow states, you felt as if there was a distinct consciousness. And I would just like to ask, in a sense, if you were to ask yourself or that entity whether it would really claim to be distinct from you. Even though I understand there is a frequency differential, certainly, and there's all kinds of layers. However, whether there ultimately really is a separation or not much rather a connection uh, between yourself and that which you perceived. Yeah, no, it's a great question. That's a kind of one of the, the questions um, for sure. And uh, yeah, I, I wish I could say that I had a really definitive answer for that. I think in that period of time where I think I was, if I look back, um, I was probably the most open. I mean, just like recklessly open during those days, like recklessly and naive. I was going on like spiritual pilgrimages with ayahuasca through Central America and Peru and drinking with shamans and, and, and sorcerers and witches. I mean, I had like, I've got such a crazy, uh, just these adventures that each one of them, Sometimes they would add a new understanding and then others would completely just like disrupt and create like an upheaval of everything that I thought I had understood. And but particularly when it came to the creative process and uh, when using different types of psychedelics and opening my mind there, there, there was a period where I felt like I was, um, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know if like channeling is, is the right word, but I could feel energies coming coming in and i think at that at that time it felt really um exciting um to be in touch with something that was like i mean i'd have something that would come into there was this you know it's really weird i tried googling it the other day just so i could get a better understanding from based off the understandings that i have now but i did this uh did this my friend anahata was in in the bay she was into this like really she called it this, uh, it was this, this tea and gong meditation group that she was doing. 
and she just raved about it all the times and what a huge impact that on her life and she ended up when she finally like talked me into going one of these meditations and uh it was i mean it's it's strange when i think about it now the the tendencies of it and sort of like what was going on like it had a soup that it like it had one leader that had, i think it had kind of escaped china and um I did this, I was in this room with these people meditating and they would go into this kind of trance and I wasn't a really good, I was just doing it so I could learn how to meditate. I've never been a great meditator, at least like sitting cross-legged and closing my eyes and connecting. But I was in this room and there was all these people, they went through these, the med, they taught me the meditation technique and involved like a specific incantation and a different, and a, and a very particular mudra. And you, you basically, you kind of stated your full name and then you request you humbly like request access to like this they call it like the tiangong satellite and i just as soon as everybody did that i'm in this room and there's like 30 people around me like freaking out like shaking talking tongues doing all this and i'm like these people are fucking batshit crazy and i'm getting the fuck out of here and i wasted a goddamn weekend and i was pissed i was like i had buyer's remorse that i went into this and then next weekend I find myself like I'm at a festival. I had just finished doing a bunch of visuals. Um, I had done like way too much of some type of powder that somebody gave me because I was an idiot. And I was out in the middle of the forest, sick to my stomach, like forcing myself to try to puke and dry heave any of this like poison out of my system. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, a pre pretty low point, I'd say overall, just like, man, like out of everything, like here you are, puking on yourself in the middle of a forest like way to go dude you know like like nice nice one way to keep it classy you know being very self-critical of myself but i was so low and humble that i and i needed to sort of regain my composure to so i could interface with you know people again and i thought you know i'm gonna meditate whatever i'm just gonna do this thing i'll just practice that thing that i had and i and I sat there cross-legged and it was at night and I was like, yeah, I, my name is Andrew Peter Jones. And, and I did the mudra and I'm like, and I, and I respectively request access to the Tiangong satellite. And like, as soon as like the word satellite, like left my, like, like, like was vocally was, was created by my voice box. It was satellite and my whole body got taken over by a consciousness that was not me. I don't think it was me because the first thing it did was it's like it sound checked me. Like it, like I, this vibrate, my entire body is vibrating violently. Like not violently. It was, it was, it wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't painful, but it was vibrating. It was like a calibration process. <laughs> yeah. So it calibrated me, but then it was like it sound checked my octaves. Like it was like, <laughs> Like it wanted to see like how high it could make a noise and how low it could make a noise. Let's see where it's going. Go. It was it was so crazy. And it's a long story, but like long story short, I spent the rest of that 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 evening and that morning in a in a semi trance. Like I knew like I could feel like I was still there. Like I could go like drink a Pepsi if I wanted to. Like it wasn't totally taking me over, but it was definitely moving me in a very direct way, like towards different, whenever, whenever I made eye contact with someone, I was going around and, and I'd see somebody make eye contact with me and I would go up to them and I would like touch their shoulder. And in this like weird, like ayahuasca-y kind of like insect-y voice that was rhyming 
would give them some type, I'd ask them if they needed to receive, like, would you receive a download? And like, if they said yes, I would like give them this like sing-songy, rhymy, ayahuasca Icarosi like um, piece of life advice that was like somehow totally tailored to them. And that they, I've had, I, I have people that come up to me to this day being like, bro, what, what you said to me at the, uh, what was it? What was it like, I, I don't know, it wasn't Center Genesis, but at, at that festival, that changed my life forever, bro. And I have no memory of whatever I said to these people. So I guess short answer, like, yes, I believe that they're conscious. I, I don't think any of that was me like that. I can't take any credit for that. I don't, like I said, I'm not even, I don't even, I'll give people life advice if they ask, but I don't think any of the advice I was given was, was really anything out of like my rule book whatsoever. And like that went on for hours. And afterwards I felt like I could actually, I, I, under different, under, in the, under the influence of, of different psychedelics, I could um, meditate and kind of get to that place again. But it got, after a while, I just felt like there was something about it um, that I just felt like, you know what, I, I, if I'm going to, it's like you're making like a collect call, your collect call out to the universe. And I just, you know, I can't, I can't tell who's going to pick up the call anymore. You know, like I, there's no caller ID when you're opening yourself up to different entities and like all that glitters isn't gold and there's a lot of nasty stuff out there. And so I ended up. Uh, I, I don't, that's not, it's not a practice that I've continued and I haven't really re been inspired or interested in revisiting ever since. Cause like, there's some, there's, there's really scary shit out there too. And, um, unless I, unless I know what I'm dealing with, it's not something that I'm that interested in, like inviting into, uh, my space. Um, fully understand. I'm curious what Raphael's perspective is on that because he channels uh, consciously. I don't, I mean, I think as a musician and stuff, I'm like, what's not channeling in some abstract kind of way? But um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny because it sounds like you had a phenomenological event occur that you can't, you know, an X-File, dare I say, or something where it's like shit happened and it was weird. Um, and it's interesting to me that you were titillated by it and played with it, but then ultimately um, said maybe not all that glitters is gold like you're like Raphael do you have anything you wanted to contribute well of course in my uh, cosmology it's all aspects of oneself um however uh yeah how to say where, where do you draw the line or put in a different way the way I see it is the fact that you experienced it actually means it's you but then again that's my presupposition that the entire reality is constructed out of and within your own consciousness so yeah <laughs> yeah it's interesting i mean I, I i hear where you're going with that and like there's the part of it like i i it's i i don't disagree with any of that statement you know but in in any way like i do understand that i think oh, well, phenomenologically of course it's super interesting just what you stated because these are particularly interesting points when you have even the impression that it's different and distinct but it's etheric you know or something right so it's awesome right yeah i mean you know it's like as far as like how we create our own reality and what's possible like my favorite like john c Lilly quote you know in the providence of the mind what one believes to be true is true or becomes true within certain limits you know like i'm i'm all about that you know i get that we can create that we're capable of creating more than i think any of us give ourselves like credit for and like man i've just straight up been in ceremonies and seen like demonic possession like like i don't have the, i don't feel like i have a luxury to be like on offense of if there are forces of good and evil 
that are active, they're playing active roles in our life, you know, like a, some type of a chessboard. Like I just, I wish I didn't, I wish I was more open-minded to that not being a possibility, but I just feel like the shit that I've seen, man, I just can't, I can't chalk it all up to like, oh, that was just probably some darker shadow aspect of himself that was like, that was roaring and growling like a goddamn demon and completely like incoherent. Like there's just, there's just things that it's just like, I, I don't know. It's, it's easier for me to reach to, and even saying like, oh, it was an outside entity. It's like that, that requires like, I, I get that that requires like a lot of miracles to happen too. And it might be easier to think that it's some, maybe some sort of like deep repressed trauma that was coming out. But I don't know. I'm going to err on the side oh, of like demons and don't get possessed by demons. Then like it's some unresolved uh, emotional issue facet of our consciousness. Just to patch it together, the way I understand it is that it has to do, of course, with traumatization and so on, let's say in terms of the human, which then in a sense allows for a, I would say, misalignment in a sense, of course, in my worldview, which would then allow a frequency such as those we may call demonic to connect and express themselves through that entity. So in my view, it's all channeling of different frequencies. And the question is, whom do you open the door to? Yeah, so I think it's both basically. Yeah, good. Both and I like both ands. I'm I'm great. I'm super into both ands. I think I think the older I get, the less uh, fundamentalist I really get about any idea or theory. You know, I think there's I've been wrong so many times that um, I've 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 sort of I've learned the danger of really sticking to too many guns i mean there's 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 certain things like i I'm, I'm a big fan of like natural law i believe that there's like there's dynamics that 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 govern the the mechanisms of like our consciousness i believe there's things that are that that there are things that are that that exist that are that aren't arbitrary like on our belief of them or not and you know i think i just i always try to make a little room to be wrong about anything and you know i never want to get too i too attached to any idea that I, um, I end up like occluding a, a better solution or something that makes more sense. And I feel, I feel like as I get older too, like I'm, I'm, I, I would, I really, um, I, by no means would I ever consider myself to be like, uh, a solipsist, you know, like I don't believe in nothing. Are I don't we believe that, that? We, that we, yeah, like, or is it just me, Vanilla Sky, talking to myself in alternate forms? Like, we, I've, that's what I've asked for. Solipsism is a weird drug. Because uh, it's yeah, a yeah, new yeah. age plays into that a lot enough where I'm like, okay, but I feel distinct ontologically. <laughs> anyway, I didn't mean yeah, that. Yeah. No, no, not, not at all. Uh, uh, but uh, I feel like, I don't know, like, I'll go like, I'll go like 49% with with somebody on any idea, you know, like maybe that, maybe that's the case. Like maybe it can be that, that, that type of thing, but it's hard to, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to count out different possibilities. Like I've had my experiences and I can really only make my decisions and my belief system based off those things. And I've started to also become comfortable with one that there's, there's um, being humble and I think that there is a lot of information to know. And I do know a, there are things that I know and there's things that I, I don't know. And there's a lot of things that I don't know that I don't. But I think like more and more when it comes to, you know, really dedicating myself to trying to figure out, you know, every dynamic of play and like, what are the rules of this universe that we're in? I, I think I'm kind of, I might have reminded, maybe it was like a, I'd have been from like a Terrence lecture, but it's just kind of like, like where, 
like what kind of hubris are, are, are we possessing that we think that like when we were born, there was some, we made some contract with the universe that we're even capable of understanding what's going on, you know, like why, like, where do we come off? Like what, where do we get off? Like assuming that that's even part of what's going on. You know, when I think when it comes to, certainly when it comes to like, I've, definitely believe that there's a higher consciousness than me. Um, I, I feel that, that there's, you know, when it comes to even like the idea of like a God or like the conscience of God, like, is there something beyond my comprehension? Yeah, totally. Am I, is, is it within my lifetime and within this, is there, is there a, is there a probability field of me going through and researching and coming into contact or understanding that maybe, but probably not. You know, I mean, I think the idea of our human consciousness understanding a like a supreme intelligence or how the universe works would be like, you know, it's like looking at Super Mario and is he ever going to understand like the mind of like Miyamoto? Never, you know, like I just, I just, you know, without remaining a little bit optimistic, I think I'm also just becoming more and more comfortable with, um, you know, my, my, where my understand, like, what I can, what's, what's, what's within the wheelhouse of me being able to understand what I can't understand and what, you know, what benefit it has to me and my life and my children and humanity. Makes total sense. Yeah. It seems like, um, I mean, and there's different flavors of times of life, like the fool's journey is the major arcana card. Sometimes you're on a pursuit of truth, uh, you know, and you want the hanged man. You're like, I'll lose everything. And, let me upside down for nine days and I'll find out the truth. Like, I guess I'll drink a whole lot of ayahuasca or some, you know, whatever. And then sometimes you're like, I'm pretty cool with how things are, uh, you know, hierophant. I, I think I know the truth. Other times it's the tower card. It seems, um, I guess what I'm getting at, uh, and your art has shown a lot of variation in, um, appropriation is not really the word I'm looking for, but like, it seems like very syncretic in that you've adopted a lot of, uh, or made artistic commentaries and or, you know, impressions upon a lot of uh, different worldviews. Uh, I mean, uh, with the Samskara thing, you've got a lot of Hinduism, but I know, um, and, and I'm not such a comparative religions freak that I'm even able to, like, say what you're alluding to all the time. But uh, sometimes you've got, you know, two dragons and a guy who looks like Buddha in the middle. It seems like you're playing with a lot of ideas that, not only psychedelics can tap into, but um, mystery schools, wisdom schools of the world. When did you start playing around? I mean, like, were you raised Christian? You were kind of like, fuck this, I don't want any of that jazz. Or when did you start playing around with kind of models of reality um, that you've been using as themes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was raised Catholic. I was even, a, I was an altar boy. And um, yeah, it was around college when I just started realizing like what, a, like that, that sort of the manipulation throughout history and I kind of felt like I got roped into like a Ponzi scheme. Um, but the thing of being Catholic, I still, I still always had a very, just like a, just, I don't know, maybe it was just like a programmed or ingrained just respect and understanding of like a Supreme being. Like it never, I, I, I don't think there was ever a real time in my life where I felt, I felt like I, that was, that was really like in question or doubt. It just kind of felt like it was a given and I didn't really need to, you know, go deeper and why I just felt it was, it just seemed like it, it was, you know, like I, I, I can't, it's, it's hard for me to make a, a, a counter argument against it. Cool so, self-evident so, truth to you. I get it. Wait, to me. Yeah. It just, I mean, it's, it is, it's like, yeah, there's a God, like I, I a hundred percent. There's, I mean, 
I don't think it's anything like what we think it is. I think that it's like that metaphor of like the blind, like five blind men around like a, an elephant. And one dude thinks it's a snake and one dude thinks it's a tree. You know, it's just like a God's everything that everybody thinks it is and what beyond what we can imagine. And I feel like I've been interested in every, I'm really interested in every, in, in different cultures interpretation of their perspective of that energy and especially through like their practices and just really like through their through their artwork um you know when i look at like i love i've been through india and like, studying indian art and the temples and the sculptures that they have i love like mesoamerican art like with the places that like i have this image dharma dragon that i've done she's like, the main kind of deity and uh samskara that you encounter she's kind of like the, the poster girl for that and that like that kind of a character um, like how, where that sort of came to me, it's like, whenever I'm in these sort of deeper psychedelic states and I, I get like, I don't really, there's, I've never really, I haven't seen a lot that I could really, you know, like screen capture and be like, that's what I, I just get these like flashes, like these glimpses. And I, I do believe that there is a, that there is a type of reality, um, that there's a type of energy and entity that like all these artists throughout time were, 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 were exposed to you know like i feel like when i like that image is sort of a combination of mayan and aztec shape language and vernacular and then hindu vernacular like i feel at the end of the day they're all kind of they all might be touching or scratching the same thing and their interpretation of it is there is a combination of like the the, the amount of exposure they had to it um based on the you know the the the, the software and hardware of their consciousness at that time and that there is some type of truth that weaves these things together and you know i don't think it's i'm not i don't th think that whether i'm i have the ability to understand that in my lifetime or not it's just really fascinating and from a visual artistic perspective um it's always been something i've really been drawn towards exploring you know i think the use of creativity and visual arts as a form of kind of a prayer and an expression of gratitude is is definitely been part of my practice. You know, I feel like the, just the ability for us to be creative is one of the greatest gifts that you know our God, leader, programmer, whoever like in, endowed. You know, they didn't. I, we didn't have to have that, but we do. And it's so awesome that I wanted. I've I've chosen to pretty much dedicate my life around um, being in service to that frequency and it's just the experience of expressing myself create creatively is that it's the it's the experience that i've found out of all the things i could be doing it's you know that and being a dad is like the most valuable way i i, I imagine that i i could spend my time and it's kind of why i continue doing it and you know within that what as far as like the different types of and when you expose yourself to different ideologies and different dogmas and different ideas and people believe I feel like all of those help kind of influence and shape um, the thoughts that I have. And, you, and, you, and out of all of those, and there's definitely ones, you know, throughout the years that I feel like I gravitate more towards. And there's ones that I kind of gravitate less towards. Like one, one thing you did mention earlier, like one of the guy, one of the cats that I'm, or schools of thought that I think are, you know, are definitely like onto some, like, like, um, I'm a huge like Philip K. Dick fan. He's like probably one oh, of my yeah, favorite yeah, authors. Yeah. And like, I'm like dude, the, the Gnostics were on to something, man. I got to say that when I look at all of, when I zoom out as far as I'm able to zoom and I kind of see things going on, like 
come on, like the, the Archons and the Demiurge, like that, I get chills just saying that. Like there's, that's, I, if I had to like, if I had to put my chips in the one camp, I would probably, I would, I would probably like veered towards like the, not, the Gnosticism. Cause like those guys were, were, were definitely not wrong about everything. There's actually a really good um, Christian Bale film. Um, it's a Terrence Malick film, but Christian Bale started it called Night of Cups, I believe, which is actually a tarot reference. But uh, it's kind of a Gnostic myth. It's kind of like Pilgrim's Progress meets Gnostic myth in Hollywood. It's really opiatic. I don't know if you're into Terrence Malick, like Tree of Life and movies like that. <laughs> but, uh, Check that out. It's yeah. one of those things where I was like, I mean, it's an art film, right? Where it's like, you'd probably enjoy it. I think you'd respect it. I don't know if, you know, take it to kids in the, you know, Brooklyn on a Friday night if they're going to want to watch this movie. But, um, yeah, very opiatic and kind of like interesting. I think you might like it, but very Gnostic. And I mean, I've only had, I haven't done ayahuasca yet. I've smoked DMT a few times and met some Egyptian deities and had a Kundalini activation, all sorts of weird shit that I wasn't expecting. But that kind of terrain, um, made me, especially when it was uh, at a time when I wasn't really questioning reality, uh, made me kind of think that the Arconic Gnosis Sophia thing might be more uh, realistic than I would have dared dream. Uh, it's probably more, you know, dark city or matrixy than we, you know, I, those are tropes, obviously, in Fight Club and things where it's like, oh, we're all being controlled. But it's like, I don't even think, I think our ability to self-reflect about our situatedness in this dream, the samsara, whatever this is, um, especially given the technological kind of uh, advancements we've had lately. I don't, I mean, I don't know if you believe in Atlantis and stuff, but it's like where we're going with the technology we have now and what that means for human evolution, given certain presuppositions, like, I mean, I'm less against, I think Raphael, I can't speak for more. We were just talking about this in the last podcast. Like I've inherited certain models, whether it's like NASA takes real pictures of real space or we evolved from apes. Like because of the culture we've been brought up in in a post-scientism kind of world, um, one would be you know silly to think that science is wrong or whatever, right? So uh, I'm not saying I'm right, but and like, maybe just maybe, briefly, yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. definitely. Uh, uh, go ahead, Raphael, <laughs> answer that. I'm rambling, sorry. No, I just uh, want to ask a question um, because you also dealt with CGI and art and so on. Uh, to put it in a neutral way. Could you imagine like images being put forth by NASA and so on to be CGI? I think partially at least it's even normal that they, they say they have to add on CGI, right? To make it visible and so on. Well, I mean, you mean NASA, the, like the Nazi concept art department that our government funds? Okay, yeah, here we go. I could... so, yeah. <laughs> so we spoke about that in the last show. Okay, all right. I was right, flirting okay. with ideas, but he sounds like he drank the Kool-Aid, so keep going. Oh, me? Go on? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. When I, got onto the, uh, when I got onto the Mumble app and I heard the room you guys were doing, I was just like, oh, man, what did, what did Annie Ray sign me up for? Like, I, did a, I, I gave a lecture. Um, I gave, like, a, a fireside chat at, a, at, the, at the Jamie Janover's festival, Sonic Bloom, like, four years ago. And it was uh, – the, the, the theme of the talk was I wanted to give a talk about um, – basically like just like cognitive reality and what we believe and why we believe those things and being able to use like your own senses to make decisions and the things we believe in. And at the time right. I was actually looking into a lot of, like I had kind of get, got exposed to some of the 
the the flat earth ideas and um that was super like i was really it was it was it was very compelling you know especially like some of the things were like realizing that there was no we we had no like real actual videos of the earth spinning and then i was you know i had already had a background of like admiral bird and um the inner earth and like that's that's the whole the, the idea of it was really was really interesting like i wasn't you know i'm like my my perspective is like the earth you know is 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 it flat is it round it's like i i don't know like i haven't seen it like i it all it makes sense i think there's enough evidence that it makes sense that it's it's probably a sphere it's probably something like that like the because if anything it's almost like i want to believe like the idea of like an infinite plane is like almost too interesting you know like it's attractive because it's kind of it's like the <laughs> ultimate conspiracy you know like it almost proves yeah, everything that you thought before pointing it back i mean we spoke about truman show and so on but again to me it's like super just logical especially because we also spoke about the background structures you know jesuits <laughs> and so on and so forth and i mean you have a map and there's it's very simple for me we have a map and we are told certain spots on the map we're not allowed to go I mean, that's enough for me to call everything into question, honestly. <laughs> Even if I would be with you to be agnostic, you know, on what is it really, I don't know. But to many, even asking the question would be would make you a target of attack, just as we spoke towards the end about prejudice. And that's always where my, you know, spider senses or whatever, snake senses flare up. And I'm like, oh, there's got to be something there. Uh, otherwise, yeah, wouldn't make such a big fuss about it. Yeah, but I think that the punchline of that story was that um, at the beginning of this lecture, I was trying to kind of make a case for flat Earth, just to kind of show people how what our like how we kind of use our cognitive abilities to believe something or not believe something. And a, a, you know, it's at a festival, so people kind of come into a lecture, they come out of a lecture, like they didn't stay for the whole thing. And because of that, like one of the like I don't I don't participate a lot in the social media, like Annie Ray. Like I have, I have a professional person that I pay to do all of that because I find most of social media and Twitter and Facebook to just be totally toxic for consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't, I don't really play those reindeer games, but it's like the number one sort of, uh, I guess, like I don't know, like comment or troll or things that she always has to kind of like friction that we get are the amount of somewhere along the lines, there was just like a rumor started that like, it's a, it's a way that people, I think people use it to sort of like dismiss me. You know, everybody doesn't like me. I, I'm totally okay with that. But like that, oh, I heard Android's a flat earther. Like the idea, the few people, like the people that didn't stay for the whole lecture and the impression that, so there's been a, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a whole rumor out there that Android believes in flat earth and they, people are, 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 are not shy to use that whenever they want to like you know talk down like, or yeah, discredit right, right, right. me and i was like i'm like whatever you know it's like when you get to the outer you can tell me what it is you know like i like i do i do believe that like it's it's a great thought exercise to understand like you know when it comes to like what we can look at what our senses like how it just it's i think it's, it's always interesting to talk to people about like where like how much of our reality we take on credit but by believing right. somebody else and what we take, what we've seen for ourselves. And yeah, like with the NASA stuff, she, there's like, my favorite is like, you know, it's, I, I just, I, it's I, something I'm excited about sort of at least sort of teaching my children, but like the amount of stuff that I, we grew up with that we just took for granted, you know, like you even look at like NASA, I mean, just like, it's like, we it's like, it's like the saddle, you know, the picture of like the Galileo satellite that you see in your science book, you know, it's just like, 
it's, it's, it's orbiting and like Pluto's behind it. And then, you know, it's like, who took that picture? Did the, like, do the satellites have like little selfie satellites around them following around, like waiting for like the glamour shark to take a picture? Like so much, like it doesn't take a lot to, it doesn't, it's not, a, I mean, it's conspiratorial, but it really doesn't take a lot of digging to look into the visual propaganda that NASA has created and just call bullshit all over the place, you know? And it's just such a, it's such a, it's such a, it's just, it's just such a psych out, you know, like stuff like that. And it doesn't take a lot. And, and these days of like post-truth where it's like, who believes in anything? I mean, you start, you start looking like turning up one rug and you know, it's just, it, that's yeah. You guys are a rabbit hole, right? It's a total rabbit hole to go down. Right. That's, I mean, that's kind of the function of this whole thing. I didn't, Set up and be like, I want a podcast. I used to hit up Raf. I basically Raphael lives in uh, Vienna, right? And I've been in Colorado. I was growing weed in Fort Collins at one point and just doing a lot of drugs by myself and listening to Spangle or what, you know, just weird stuff. And uh, I posted that DMT trip report I had alluded to a little bit about Kundalini activation and Egyptian deities and weird shit. Uh, just because I'm always curious, I'm a summon and moon Gemini. I'm always just curious what other people think about what I've experienced. I don't need, you know, I'm not looking for validation or invalidation it's more just like what is your opinion um anyway rafael helped me up and we've had these weird conversations ever since where the the whole premise of the idea i mean it wasn't a, it's become a podcast but it was basically me being like usually on spun on ass and being like how can we know anything you know like hitting him up basically and having you know using rafael as a sounding board for kind of just spun ideas or you know kind of like rave you know after the rave thoughts or whatever um and a lot of them, it's funny because this, we were just talking about this in the last podcast, kind of, but I don't know where the buck stops in terms of what to question because it seems like it's one thing to be like, I mean, it's very in vogue to be kind of post fight club, like where it's like, yeah, you're just a commodity or yeah, you're just a consumer or yeah, you're just a government number or whatever. It's like, these things are true, but like how far back does this, does this deception go and how deep does it go? Um, like you were talking about Philip K. Dick where it's like, he gets, you know, that like, the purple light or pink light or whatever from Sirius. It's like, is this like a cosmological weird RPG that I'm in? <laughs> like, that's kind of where I'm at, where I, I just don't yeah, understand yeah. the basic, like what's democratized. Like we tend to presume like, Oh, I, you know, I saw this and you saw that so we can agree upon it through language and all this stuff. It's like, I mean, even just little cognitive kind of impairments like color blindness or something could very much impair, uh, impairs a strongly negative polarized word, but like influence, um, the story we're telling ourselves and then you start getting into just the whole like you know the world spirit or Carl, kind of Carl Jungian thing where it's like you know the collective unconscious and how that might manifest through cultural epochs and you know people in the sand might be very monotheistic uh, you know sand culture desert cultures might be very monotheistic whereas people over in southern you know Asia are very Buddhist and it's because of the petri dish of the culture I'm rambling uh, but the point is there's what happens is we have people like our last guest come on and they've got very uh, nuanced opinions on reality, but I'm always kind of curious how far these presuppositions, like where, like have we always been in a dream? So none of it matters. Like that's very nihilistic, I know, and kind of Hindu. Um, but it seems like you're more on a uh, Android on a uh, march, uh, like a war path or whatever, not to find truth, but to find a truth that feels reasonable. Like you don't, you're not, you don't strike. I mean, you start being a hippie at a level, but you're also pragmatic. You're not just like, I am now, you know, an Arcturian fart in a dream. Like you're not going totally 
bananas, even though you might believe in Arcturians. I know I just said a lot that made probably not a whole lot of sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, Team I mean, Avatar, I mean, I mean, yeah, we yeah, bring I up NASA, and I'm like, yeah, because that, honestly, that's a good example. Uh, there's a podcast that I used to listen to called The Sync Book, they've, they've, um, Synchronicity. Uh, the, they have this thing called The Sync Book Press. Uh, so they're kind of into Carl Jung and Marshall McLuhan and Terrence McKenna, these kinds of people. And I heard heard on one of these random episodes, pretty much probably right around the time when I came up with Team Rabbit Hole and was looking at your art and all this stuff, all these psychedelic thoughts that I'd never thought. Um, and I heard the story, the occult origins of NASA, basically with Jack Parsons and Thelma, uh, basically crawling. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, holy shit, if that's real, like we have, like we're getting McDonald's like advertisements telling us the burgers are good. I mean, this is a weird analogy, but it's like the burgers are great. Bessie was grown up on a farm. I'm vegan, so I'm not even eating these things. But then you see like an industrial like food, you know, documentary. Like it feels like work. Like some people argue, like Republican Democrat. It's like y'all, we might be on. I mean, I'm not a flat earther. We might be on a flat plane with ice walls. Like what the fuck is going on? So I've just yeah, a lot, yeah. but like you, you were entertaining, you know, Nazi propaganda kind of NASA stuff. I, you probably understand Operation Paperclip. Like, it of seems course. like we're part of this weird-ass production where who's at the helm? I mean, McKenna's whole thing was like, no one's in charge. This is like kind of a, you know, shit show, basically. Almost like Burning yeah, Man, yeah. but full-blown. I, 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 yes, to, yes to everything you, you, you just talked about. No, I totally get that. And I think that, like, you know, somewhere in between, like, um, not realizing your own limitations of like not being able to figure it out and knowing that like whatever my, I can, I can be pretty sure that whatever, whenever I think I've got something figured out that that's probably wrong as well. Like I think I've over the years, I just seem to keep whenever I come back to some addiction writing and just leaning more and more towards the, that's kind of semi like the Gnostic camp. Cause at this point it's like the, it's the only thing, it's the only kind of at least, explanation that somehow ties at least as many of the the little pieces that together that i that i'm i'm capable of like it's the one explanation that actually seems to you know like i used to you can really go down different rabbit holes with like who's controlling the world and you know the illuminati and there's a you know there's a group of guys smoking cigars in like a dark room like that's you know that that's 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 all that's kind of a romantic idea to think that it's that simple but um, I don't know. You watch. There's this great. Uh, I really recommend if you like just stories. The new Adam Curtis documentary uh, can't get you out of my head, and I just want to like shout out to that every time I get an, a platform to. It just came out in February, and it's a six-part documentary. And you know, Adam Curtis doesn't have all the answers, but he does such a just a poetic, creative job of just kind of retelling like the tapestry of like our history, and just through the things you see, the way that he documents the things that are happening. Like he has some ideas around like how. The, uh, like the, the Illuminati was like part of like a psyop called Operation Mindfuck. And that, you know, maybe, maybe not, that was the case. But when he shows you these different, these different like players and throughout history and these huge decisions that they made that have like, that had, um, you know, Im the impact decades like generational later. ramifications. Yeah. Well, well you, you th things that you would have thought would have been like choreographed by some, you know, group of humans together. And you realize that like, most of the big things that happen in history are like just tactical decisions in the moment by people just doing the best they thought they could, whether that was the best for humanity or the best for themselves or the oligarchs or whatever, who knows, but that there isn't that like, that like Terrence is the scarier idea is that there isn't anybody running the ship. But then at the same time, you're like, well, 
what about what about Lady Gaga? And what about this Beyonce music video? And what's with like all the eyeballs and all the pyramids and all the things? Like, how do you explain for that? You know, Hollywood has there definitely has to be like something going on. And like, I, you know, obviously, I definitely believe that there are groups of Satanists and there are Satanic groups, and I think that they have a huge influence over our world. And I think that's something that a lot of people are overlooking. You know, I don't I don't know if I can go all the way to Pizzagate, but like. I mean, fuck government, man. Fuck all of them like that. Like, I don't put that shit. I don't put that shit. Yeah, I don't put that shit past them. But I think ultimately when it comes along to like, what am I, what am I really going to like make a stand for or like get tattooed on me or anything? It's like, I try to always sort of temper it with like, don't like freak out or like one of my, one of my like philosophies of life is like, don't believe in stupid things that like make you feel shitty that you can't control, you know? Like, can I, like, is there a flat? Is it round? I don't know. Can I, do I have any, do I have any effect over it? Or am I going to be able to figure it out? No, probably not. So I'm not going to put a lot of my mental energy into like worrying about stuff like that right now. Like if it's in my hand to control, like if, if, if Elon gives me a ticket on like to Mars, like, Hey, I'm happy to like report back to everybody if I see a curvature or not. But in the meantime, like it doesn't give any value to like my life or my family's life to worry about things that I can't have any kind of impact in. But when it's it comes like to like, you know, like, yeah, it's like a gremlin, say, but, but yeah, that's at a certain correct. point, like, yeah. It makes a difference though, whether or not you're buying NASA merch, just saying. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I'm not, not really like, you know, not really cashing in my tendies on, you know, NASA t-shirts or going for that camp. Um, but um, I think it also, I guess, but there is what does make a difference I think um, on a day-to-day level or at different places, like I do want to, I, I do need to have some type of understanding. Like you see the, the things that happen in the world in these mechanisms. And like I said, it's like you look at all the Illuminati stuff and you're like, there's gotta be something going on. Like there is a certain, for, just for my own peace of mind, I, fi- I find that it is helpful. You know, I do have like a, you know, some, some working theories on what's at play and how, like, I just, if I don't have any understanding of what's going on, then that is that in itself can also kind of be uncomfortable because I'm very, you know, if I, I, I want the future to be, I, I want to, I, I want to be working towards a bigger, better future that we can all believe in. I want life to be better than it is right now because I've got two kids. I got, I got three kids, you know, and it's just like, I don't have the luxury of not caring about where this ship is going and how we're going to get there you know, because, because of them. And so it's like, I can't just, I don't want to sit on the sidelines and like do nothing. But when it comes to like, so that, that, that saying that it does make me very curious and very interested in like, why do these things, why are these things happening? Like what's going on? And I think with like the way the Gnostics kind of give a, give a, a good description of sort of like this, you know, this Illuminati, or when we see all these little pieces and like, what's happening, like, why are there, why are there pyramids and eyeballs and art and artists covering their eyes? I've started to adapt more of like this Gnostic idea around it, where I feel that there is, there is a, a demiurge presence. You know, I think that there is a parasitic consciousness that is incapable of, you know, putting a Lego block on it. I don't think that they can, they can physically interact with our world, but I feel that this consciousness has the ability to influence people in susceptible situations. And so I think that like that, that like love, 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 to put it in perspective, like 
as far as like Super Bowl half halftime shows, yeah, there's probably definitely Satanists like doing some art direction there. But like across the whole board, I think that this consciousness and, and, and this 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 consciousness can just enter the minds of like whoever was art directing this album cover and thought like, you know what, I bet an eyeball would be really good right now. Or Jay Z was getting a photo taken, and at some point that little that it might have a little grin that the, the, the Archon Gremlin tapped him in the corners, like, oh, maybe I should make this hand signal right now. I, I think it, it's easier for me to imagine there's a disincarnate evil consciousness, like just tipping the scales in people's minds, like across the world, influencing culture, than that it's like a group of like old men in a room calling the shots, you know? Yeah, that, well, that makes more sense to me. I would just like to point out again, to my understanding, there's both. And even just now <clears throat> in the small uh, country of Austria, some chats were released, which basically showed that the current leaders in the most important ministry positions and so on colluded through super, I mean, it's in German, so you won't, but it's like so childish, even how they write is like arrested development. And you just have a few people, you know, basically doing anything they can to amass as much power as they can without any regard for anybody else. And just extrapolating this kind of understanding, which is well documented in all those cases, to me at least makes it super obvious that what you mention must exist in a sense on a spiritual level. However, there must also be, again, counterparts that are susceptible to that, just like you said. And then just naturally, they would and obviously also have organized. And otherwise, I can just recommend some underground hip-hop people that have been in the scene and talk about... <laughs> You know what happens or Kay Griggs who was married to a special operations guy for many years and he always got drunk and spilled the beans the methods they use are always very similar and I don't know if then ultimately there is you know one master group or whatever and also that doesn't matter but uh, it does very much seem like there is both let's say an astral and a physicalized component and they may not be the smartest and certainly not the most loving ones or whatever but they also do organize and I think the the relevance of shedding the light on that is just to realize it is as important that we organize because just as you mentioned in terms of f government it has been taken over whilst in fact it should serve the people and all of those things right so that's why i think it's good to shed light on that on let's say the real also very much factual conspiracies whilst having the astral layer also in mind which is definitely ineffectuous as well just to be able to do exactly what you're saying which is making a stand for me it's not even about children. I don't have any. I'm not sure if I don't think I'm planning to. It's even just more immediate. And I guess with you, ultimately, it would be the same that even life itself would feel differently if you were to say, oh, you just shut it off or who cares? You know, it's, it's a question of mindset, I believe, even more so than whether one has children or not. Yeah, indeed. And I, I think you are right. I think it's definitely a combination of both and. But I think that whatever it is, Whatever is going on, I, you know, I, I can't say that I know for sure, but I'm pretty confident that it is when, if we ever do, if, the, if it ever is revealed to us, like at some point or post-life or death or whatever, I think we're all going to find that it's a lot weirder and probably more complicated than we could ever imagine. And so I think that it's having an open mind, um, you know, seeing and like being, being conscious of like where your information is coming from is really important, but... And also just understanding like what are the things in our power like where can we 
where do we have a, you know, a voice in that and what can we do to make things better and what can we do to, you know, suffer less and help people out? Like all those, uh, you know, I think are, are super important, but, you know, coming back to a little bit of the, I think you mentioned like, are we in like an RPG game or something like that? that I mean, that comes into my mind all the time, you know, like, you know, whether it's like this, I don't really buy too much of the, like some of the simulation hypothesis is, is, is interesting for sure. I think that sometimes the simulation idea is just like a, a it's like, it's, it's kind of a cop out for scientism that doesn't it's, believe in it's God. Material like It's material spirituality. But so, so, you know, you know, cook on this, like there's one of my favorite researchers out there that if anyone's listening to this podcast and you want to know more, it's like this guy, Mark Passio on a, what on earth is happening. Uh, me and my friend Bill just got him on the clubhouse recently. He's like, just like the most like no holds barred, just like bare bones, like no bullshit. This is what's up. This is the truth. Like this is what the, he's at ex saintness. And so he has a lot of like per, per, personal firsthand experience with sort of this like dark elite and what's going on. But what's really interesting with him, you'd love to have him on your show. He's super into the, the tarot and a lot of the occult aspects, but he has like, he's also into just like the no nonsense, like spirituality as well. And his, I mean, his main proposition is that we're all just totally, this everybody, we're all just slaves. Like we're living in this like slave society. Um, and uh, he's very active around like using his power and his platform, his voice to help educate people with what he knows, but something that's really what I'd like, I'll tell you like a personal sort of a way that it actually kind of influenced, like interacted with my reality just recently is I've been following his work for years. And even this was maybe like two weeks ago or so, you know, like here in Boulder, like he called out the sh the Boulder shooting that was going to happen like two days before it happened. And he didn't, he wasn't like, listen, there's going to be a shooting in Boulder and it's going to be this. He has this like something he's been that I've followed him for years he talks about that the time of, uh, I think it's between like April, like early, no, it's, it's May 23rd to I think like April 21st or something he calls it, it's the season of sacrifice. And throughout history, like at this time, there's always something fucking terrible that happens. Like we always see a spike in shootings. So like, especially around like, around that, he, he called out that there's it's like the season has like an opening game and then it has like a culmination and then like a climax. And so like, you know, like the, like the, like the massacre at Waco is one of those things. Like there's like, there are there's Falls, a, stuff like that. It's just stuff like that. And like, that's the kind of stuff where it's just like, so where it had like an impact on me is that I happened to like, I wasn't really close friends, but like one of the women, like I was one degree away from one of the women that was shot like at, 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 at the King supers. And so where I would have wanted to be like, oh, it's got to be a false flag. They're going for my guns. This is just like, this is all theater. Like it fucking wasn't because I knew the person that got shot, like she's dead. And like, that was a real thing. She was not a crisis actor. It wasn't any of that. And so then I'm like, oh, okay. So this is like a real thing. Like this wasn't something that was totally staged. And I just, it's like, it's hard to like, it's, even, it's hard to kind of wrap my mind around like, well, like how did, how did these people that wanted this season of sacrifice, like what role did they play? Like, was this guy just like, was he on some, was it, was it like an, did they MK ultra this guy into deciding to like shoot all these people on this specific date? Like where is the friction point of like some human pushing a button or manipulating a frequency to like make this happen on this date. And so that's where I kind of get like, I don't have an answer for this at all. I'm just, it just brings up these sort of questions where like, okay, was this, 
is this season of sacrifice. How much do humans, like like physical humans incarnate, whether they're possessed or not, like have an influence over this thing? Or are these cycles, this like, you know, the season of sacrifice, like, is this, it's, it makes, it's like, it's like, is this just like the earth episodes that happen right now, you know, is whatever else going on out there? Is this just the time where they want, is this like part of the season where there's like some really like dramatic killing thing that happens or like, like, I don't know, but it's just, it's just, a, it's been tripping me out recently. If you guys have any insights into, I mean, into what you think is going on in the situation. Uh, we'll have to get him on the podcast. I've heard his stuff before. I mean, the name rings a bell. It's not like I'm following everything he puts out, but definitely heard of his stuff. Um, it's weird because this starts getting into not, and this is funny because I tend to be like, fuck material scientism, you know, like reductionism. I'm not just a, a quirk in a, I'm more spiritual than materially reductionistic. So, but what's funny is we start coming to places in astrology and magic with a K and all this kind of stuff where it's like, um, uh, there's a animator. You, probably have heard of him he did something called the invisibles i'm forgetting his name now um he's scottish it's totally uh not my brain right now but anyway this guy uh was talking about noticing solar cycles where it's like punk rock happens every cut you know five ten years and it's like this happens when the sun is basically acting in a certain way and we get more depressive when it's a you know this a less active solar cycle or whatever I don't, we don't even think about those kinds of factors. Now, are those anthropomorphized like functions at higher hyperdimensional levels of like, oh, Ra is doing X, and when Ra does Y, you know, we do X. It's, it's tricky because it's not like anything is just one thing. We could say things are genetic, but there's more than just that. We could say things are meta narrative and like we're living a part, you know, of a story that's kind of like the story of the gods being played through humans or however you want to put it, like an anthropomorphized kind of Jungian thing. That's true at some level, like, but we're more than that. Like, we're more than math, but fractals are real. You know, it's like, it's crazy. It's like the synthesis and symphony of so many things. Out. I mean, this is why I'm not an atheist, right? Where I'm like, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, a Middle Eastern Judeo-Christian image thing, but it seems like even at the most chaotic, weird, what the fuck is going on moments, kind of Philip K. Dick moments, it still seems like it's part of a... Uh, a production. I mean, for the lack of a better term, it's got good. Uh, yeah, circuses yeah. have like the bearded woman as well, the lion tamer. It's like there's some weird shit and dark shit, like the dark, you know, the interwebs and child trafficking and all sorts of weird shit. But that doesn't mean everybody's on adrenochrome or something like that. Right, it's this right, weird yeah, kind right, of yeah, place right. where it's like there's dark weird shit, but there's also, I mean, we're in God's imagination, maybe in a Jonathan Edward Edwardian kind of thought. Like Brahma is thinking us or what you know whatever it's like so I, I'm rambling um yeah I mean, I think that, so that, 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 that Grant, Grant Grant Morrison was the writer yes, yes, I yes, think yes, you were yeah, thinking yeah. of yeah no for sure and uh, yeah no that's uh it's the thing is I think when it comes down to that like I I I, I feel you on there's a you can put together enough pieces to realize that like I'm like I can say with pretty like the, when I talked about before like I know that I feel like there's a God or there's something bigger than us the the one thing i would point to that is always that always confirms that suspicion with um just kind of like un un un, un like like rigid and in incontrovertible results is like I've, you guys have ever seen like a full like the totality of like a full solar eclipse um like i've, I've seen three eclipses so far in my lifetime and it's like it's when you see that thing happening, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but it is, 
Uh, it's just, man, it's just, it, it makes, I, I have a, I do have a working, a, a loose working theory that I feel that, that the solar eclipse, uh, that humans observation of the solar eclipse over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years is that it's, it's probably the origin of all religions. Because when that, when that moon lines up and when you hit totality, like this thing happens and it's, it feels supernatural because like all the insects stop making noise. You hear this eerie silence that you've never seen, you've never heard before. There's this weird like lighting effect that happens that you've never seen. And you're looking at it and you're just left there. And it's just, it's like this, you, you, I felt it's a, it's a great opportunity to feel so, just so connected with all of your ancestors because you realize it's the, you, you feel connected with them because you're staring there and you, you know that you must be feeling just the same just just cosmic befuddlement that they were feeling when they saw it for the first time. And like the, the, the series of questions that, 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 that is alive in my mind, it's just like, you're just like, what? Like, like, what the fuck? And then you're like, why? And then you're just left with like, who? Like, who, like, who or how is this possible? Like, how did it just happen that on this one particular day, the size of the moon, which we're told is kind of some sort of like arbitrary artifact of a cosmic collision, just happened to be the same size and the same circumference exactly from our perceivable reality as this sun is that's thousands of miles behind it. It's like, that's the kind of, I think it's things like that where creator just like, it's like just winks at us. It's like, just in case you thought I wasn't here, like spoiler alert, like everything you think is wrong. Yeah, it's very humbling. I mean, that's the funny part because I'm I'm caught between a kind of a juxtaposition of, of a Terrence McKenna thought of like, we are the apex of fucking creation at some level. It seems like we have a very amazing wetware with a brain and nervous system and, you know, opposable thumbs, everything. I mean, you get this as an artist. We could do quite a bit uh, that many of our, cohabitants on the dream stage can't do uh like you know giraffes aren't doing sistine chapels or whatever as as awesome as their mating rituals might be it's not quite the same um so on the one hand you know the terrence mckenna like were the apex of novelty and on the other hand like um you know looking around these events that you're talking about being like i'm a part of something so much bigger than my preferences or my beliefs even like it's just flabbergasting, uh, and it's a privilege. And I mean, obviously, I I think peaks on psychedelics make one aware of the the totality of the Tao or whatever. Where it's just like it's not, it can't be named, right? The Tao can't be named uh, that which is quote the Tao. But it's like this happening that's occurring constantly. And when you try to play, I mean, it's like quantum observation. If you look at it this way, it's doing something else. Blah blah blah. So it's a magical mystery tour. And I don't even think. I mean, the I'm 35. The older I'm getting. I'm like, I don't think it's fascinating for me to talk to other monkeys on the spinning rock about what they're observing and how they're feeling about it. But I don't know if, unless, you know, you know, the book of Revelation just comes true or you know, something weird. I don't know of any democratized moment where we're all going to just be like, oh, we all get it in the same way at the same time. That might be an interesting point about human evolution with the Internet and AI and everything in the near future. Um, I know it's kind of getting late. We've taken a lot of your time. I have like one or two other kind of questions I wanted to broach, but we don't have to go terribly deep into. Um, sure, sure. Uh, just because I want to be conscious, you know, you've got a life to live and kids to feed and shit. Um, on the one hand, I know you've been doing a lot of collaborations, it seems, with your art over the years with certain musicians, uh, certain scenes, even, dare I say, like you were saying, you know, Burning Man and stuff. Um, I'm kind of curious if there was any rhyme or reason to that, or if it's just kind of like you hop on board the 
flow train and whoever you end up doing things with, you do stuff with? Um, you know, more and more, I definitely, any, any artist that I work with is also kind of like a endorsement of them. And so I'm, I try to be pretty, pretty active about working with artists that I'm friends with or that I want to support or whose music I really like. Um, I found that, you know, I kind of came into Burning Man and like the festival scene is like a super introverted, like at the time before that, like I was like a lot of the art that I was making, like for games and concepts, like I was in a pretty dark place. I think it's like, there's less, lots of ego and competition. And I'm like, I was kind of, my creative experience was mostly like me by myself, like in my studio, like listening to like heavy metal or tool brooding or getting high. And, um, you know, I enjoyed it, but it was, it was a very solitary, uh, uh, kind of a meditation. And, you know, when I started going to festivals and, and Burning Man, especially seeing people being so vulnerable and, with their creativity and seeing the power of community and what people could do when they were together, like making a stage, like that just, it was really inspiring um, seeing, seeing that. And from you know, like the evolutionary biological perspective, I'm like a young guy in like my mid late twenties. And it's like, there's, you know, I want to have kids. So it's just like, well, here's an evolutionary strategy for me to potentially meet like the highest caliber mate to breed with as well. So that I, I won't lie that that wasn't a component of my passion for being in that kind of a scene. But in general, I feel like it was the transition from seeing of, of, of the creative experience, I think is probably the short answer. And just realizing that um, what it, that, that this, how, how amazing it felt to be able to, instead of like being by myself and alone in a little room that my, my creative ritual could be on a stage with thousands of people all trying to have the best night of their lives with like incredible music happening in the background like that, like that sort of like explosion of just the human experience is what really kind of got me on the festival circuit, you know, that and the, like the mysterious and almost like irresistible magnetism of what it feels like to get taken over by side trance on like a stage with 25,000 people in Portugal kind of keeps me going back to it too. So somewhere between those are, those are, those are definitely, it's a two factor verification. I think of why I spend so much time in the scene. And at now that as I get older and I'm on the farm and I'm with my kids, there's, I, I miss boom festival. I miss a couple events like boom and burning man. I'm really upset that I don't participate in, but the others I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cool just hanging out here with my family as well. Like that time, that was a time I did, I gave it my all, I gave it my best. And I'm, you know, I'm embracing the sort of like the, my autumn, you know, as my years kind of go, I turn into the autumn phase of my life too. Totally hear that. I uh, wish I had gotten your um, birth details. and uh, We didn't do a green room right before this. Uh, mm -hmm. Your details just to look at your chart sometime, your uh, astrology chart. Um, I think maybe I'll end up just kind of um, reading your artist statement off your website. Oh, uh, yeah. you, don't, you, don't have, you don't have to. You don't have to do that. No, I think what? that's something like whenever I see my artist statements, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like what year was that? Like, what like, drug I, was I, I on? He's like, what, what, what was I high on that I thought that was an appropriate thing to describe myself with? I can't. I even sent an email like Andy Ray and Chelsea. I'm like, can we please update all our artist statements to be like? as short and as vague as possible <laughs> well i think this actually does a good job of that because it's both profound okay. and like meaningful i think like let's put it this way i could tell just by your art that you have like a high capacity mind 
Like you've got a good imagination. I mean, just you know, and even now having talked to you, it's like you can hold a conversation about weird stuff and joke about NASA or what, right? So you're a complicated individual. Um, I think this statement says a lot about. I mean, if people haven't checked out your art, fucking go check out Andrew Jones. He's got. This is. I mean, we'll have to get you back on here at some point because you have like, you know, portraits as well as like landscape type things. You're doing a whole lot of different types of things. I wanted to kind of get your philosophy on that, but we're running out of time, so I don't want to, you know make it forever anyway i'll just kind of read this statement um and if you wanted to say sure, sure. anything in terms of what you're up to um parting thoughts we'll give you space to say that this is only like a you know a paragraph or two so real quick it says uh about the artist and this is the statement i don't know if you wrote this recently or not it says june thir- uh, 2013 so you were probably in a different headspace but still probably good shit you say quote i have seen things in this life that i'm incapable of translating into words my practice, I've visited realms where the imagination ends, and the terrifying beauty of infinity unfolds over and over again. If I could distill into words exactly what motivates me to create that the art that I make, then it would not be worth making it. Instead, I have chosen the pen. Honestly, I don't know why I make this art, or what compels me to keep creating it. It's a mystery I intend to pursue for the rest of my life, and, reach, uh, and each image brings me closer to the ultimate truth, capital U, capital T. Into 2013. I think, I mean, we did a, an okay job of trying to jump around the whys. I'm always curious, you know, why do you do this? What got you here? Whatever. But you kind of nailed it on the head where it's like, it's a big mystery. It's kind of Bill Hicksian in the sense of like, I'm on a ride. I know it and I'm having fun. <laughs> um, I appreciate that you're willing to kind of go down certain rabbit holes, but you're not defined by them to the point of becoming fanatical or, you know, proselytizing or whatever. It sounds like you're a pretty cool dude. Um, but y'all, check out his art. It's some of the most uh, intriguing aesthetics I've ever seen, on the one hand, in terms of like visionary art, uh, but also it's very, I mean, I'm 35, it's very contemporary, folk, like urban, psychedelic, you know, zeitgeist appropriate, uh, very much, you know, <laughs> turning of the aeon. Uh, so people should check it out. Anyway, uh, Android, any parting thoughts on your end? Yeah, just uh, thanks for your time. This is, I definitely enjoyed just, uh, rapping with you guys i don't always get the opportunity to sort of flex these kind of ideas you know every time i feel like like i'm su- like i said i'm super introverted but i find that i don't do a lot of writing but when i by putting ideas into words sometimes it's kind of i'm always talking in my head and so this always gives me I, I like the friction of being able to actually express things verbally you know it's a way of sort of like uh it's like i get to kind of test these things out and then sort of like i'll come back and be like okay maybe i need to adjust this idea but you have definitely kind of give me some cool things to think about and appreciate having a platform to share it with with y'all and uh yeah you know i'm just here i don't have any products or things i need to shill with you guys but uh um i'm on uh Are you doing the nft thing out of curiosity yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, are you kidding me we could start like <laughs> reality opened up a portal where like all of a sudden people decided that JPEGs are worth like $10,000. Like interesting, you bet, right? You, you bet your ass I'm on that train, man. I got on that train in October. You're built for that. So, yeah. uh, man, it was like, I mean, honestly, it's just like how, I'm, I, what a time to be alive. Super grateful for that. That I think it, I was built for it and got pretty lucky on that. So yeah, I'm doing all the NFT thing. Um, I'm on clubhouse a lot now. That's been like my new kind of like, fun thing i do at night so if people want to reach out with me um i hang out in this one room it's called literally just vibing where we just vibe and talk about whatever it's been a really fun way for me to sort of 
it's like my uh, my introvert rehab sessions of just like connecting with people and artists. It's been a really cool way to just like a lot of people have these questions they want to ask me. I'm super available um, on that platform at times. You guys should be on that too. I don't know if you guys have given it a shot. I it's, haven't really fucked with it. It's a riot. Because it's like invite only and iPhone. I don't even know if uh, Rafa has iPhone. I have it. I just don't fuck with it because I put it on my iPad and now I can't transfer it. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I can't invite anybody. But I'll uh, I'll check you out uh, if you're on there kind of just geeking out on art and life and shit. Uh, sounds like a fun time. Um, well, thanks for giving us your time and energy. Definitely appreciate it. Um, you know, huzzah to Colorado. It's nice knowing, uh, you know, people around the area that are pushing, moving, yeah, and shaking. Yeah. Um, it's cool. We, we, thing, have a whole, we have a whole group of like one of some of the groups we have. There's a lot of Colorado. I feel like there's a lot of locals, a lot of Colorado locals, like on the platform. There's definitely a bunch of cool cats out here. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys for putting your time into exploring all these mysteries. You know, we got a long way to go before we figure it out. So it's cool that I always like knowing that there's people that are you know on the on on the watchtower on the edge of consciousness, like putting this piece together like bit by bit. You know, like our fingernails. the resolution's increasing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the resolution is increasing. It should be interesting. Uh, we'll have to get you on here and shoot the shit again sometime. So uh, thanks for your energy. And everyone, check out Android Jones's art and be prepared to be moved into a new space mentally. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. Enjoy yourselves. Thank you for joining. Great. Bye-bye. Radio Bob.